0: Trump delivering a crushing blow to Haley in her home state on Saturday, trouncing her by nearly 20 points with nearly 60% of the vote. The former president dominating nearly every key group in the South Carolina Republican primary electorate, according to NBC News exit poll results. Trump now setting his sights squarely on the general election. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, unplugged. Welcome to episode 71 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we take a break from the far left and the far right. I got to admit, I didn't write down my script today, something like that. And we try to be less angry, less fired up. You'd think I would have committed this to memory by now. So I did, in the past, try to kind of lay out these kind of three basic rules of anticipating what might happen here in this momentous presidential year of 2024. And roughly speaking, I've kind of laid out these three kind of benchmarks. One, Polls are interesting, they're fun, but look for the times that actual voters do actual voting things. A second thing that I kind of outlined was this idea that while national polls are interesting, looking at the mood in the country are interesting, looking at things like how the country feels about Joe Biden's age might be fascinating. The real question is, what happens in the independent swingy kind of states and independent swingy kind of voters within those states? Kind of like looking at what goes on in a lot of the country or the country as a whole is not very representative of what we really are going to care about on the fir- first Tuesday following the first Monday in November. And the finally thing is the thing to see like, what has actually changed when you have a dynamic like we have this year, where we have two identical candidates, both essentially functioning as incumbents, and I'll talk more about that in a second that, you know, and it didn't happen that long ago, the election was only three and a half, some odd years ago, not even, that the things to really look at are what are the things that have changed in the country that are all that dramatic? Not just what's the day-to-day news, but what is something that might really be of note? I did say a couple of weeks ago that we were gonna be in kind of a low event year, meaning that what you normally get in presidential years, on one side or the other, sometimes you're lucky and you get it in both places, is you have these primaries, primary after primary, interesting things are happening, interesting things are being said. Well, this year it's not really that way. And let me make no qualms about it. Let me make no reservations about it. It is going to be a Donald Trump versus uh, Joe Biden final race. All of the talk about the primaries is not really to determine that. And all the talk about people dropping in and dropping out, as I've said 100 times, isn't going to really be happening. So we're going to talk about what happened on Tuesday in Michigan. I'm going to talk about that on the weekend and whether or not it falls into the categories because it is a swing state and maybe something is really happening uh, that's a little bit different that might change it. Um, but for now, I want to catch up on South Carolina. Uh, that primary was on Saturday. You heard at the top, Kristen Welker on NBC cr- crushed and trounced and dominated Probably the laziest take you can imagine. You sometimes get the feeling that sometimes these networks are trying to overcompensate or overcorrect uh, uh, for the accusation that they're maybe too far left or in the bag for someone else. Anyway, that kind of a take about the trouncing, to some degree, I would say it's right. It was an absolutely perfect state, South Carolina. You know, a state like South Carolina that has a high number of white evangelicals, that has very conservative primary, um, you would say is a good place for Donald Trump. And there's no doubt about it. Nikki Haley, the former governor, well, she hasn't been the governor for a while. I think since 2008, Nikki Haley, former governor there, um, sure, she would have preferred to win. And as a result of the outcome, 60-40 or so, the Koch brothers who are financing much of her campaign, trying to occupy this institutionalist lane to what what extent it still exists in the Republican Party. So there's no doubt about it that it wasn't a big win for Nikki Haley. But what is interesting to me is, one, Nikki Haley, she exceeded her polling. It was polling at about a 30 percent margin and came in at about a 20 percent margin. And that's not the first time we've seen that again foreshadowing something I'm going to talk about a little later, but it's also 40% represents the large number of people, somewhere between 40 and 50%, that um, did not, once again, vote for Donald Trump. I mean, look, you, you can say that, you know, 20 point margin is a good thing, but when you are, when you consider that Joe Biden got 96.2% of the vote. And you look at that in Iowa, about 50% of the vote voted against Donald Trump there too. About 45 to 50% voted against Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Um, That, you know, you would say that that is just imagine if Joe Biden did those numbers. Now, I can already hear some of you say, well, yeah, but Joe Biden's an incumbent, Donald Trump is not. Yes, he is. He is for all intents and purposes. He controls the apparatus of the party. He has the support of just about every living human being. People supporting him in South Carolina were even some of the people that Nikki Haley gave their jobs. the the, the she, he forced out the chair of the Republican Party. He's getting funding from the Republican Party as if it's his personal piggy bank. So the answer is he most certainly should be judged as if he's an incumbent. And when you have an incumbent that is only getting forty, are only getting sixty percent of the vote, losing forty percent of the vote consistently now. Um, I think that's really bad news for Donald Trump, and it falls in the category of real voters who are casting real votes within the Republican Party and saying something very clear. Now there is one type of polling that I think we should look at carefully, and that's exit polling. Exit polling, you're getting a universe of people that actually just went and vote. They don't really have a lot of incentive to be dishonest. You don't have to figure out who's going to vote or which of the questionnaires are going to people who are not at all interested in the race or people who just say they're gonna do something when they don't, you have actual voters there. And now consistently we've seen another number emerge in that about 25% of Republican voters say they're not gonna vote for Donald Trump in November. Now, do I think it's that high? I don't, but this is the same rough number that the Siena poll that did the battleground states um, uh, back uh, late last year came up with and about the same number that we saw in exit polls in New Hampshire and about the same number that we saw in the um, exit polls in Iowa. I mean, look, here's a contrast if you want to talk about this notion of voter enthusiasm. I said that in South Carolina, Biden got 96.2% of the vote. In, North, in New Hampshire, Biden wasn't even on the ballot. And he did better than Donald Trump with 65%. wasn't even on the ballot. So, you know, if you look at these things and you want to try to figure out, well, is there anything we're really going to learn from South Carolina? It might be that there is a consistent part of the Republican Party more educated, maybe younger, um, maybe more suburban, who really do have a problem with the way uh, with his candidacy, and that's problematic. You don't see a similar swath in the uh, in in the Democratic Party. So if that's one thing, one actual vote that happened on Saturday, there actually have been three other races that are not in the category of primaries that actually are tells that show that this is emerging as something of a trend. The first is a small one, but it's interesting for where it was in the country. A second is a larger one that was interesting to me because of what it was about, the issues that emerged. And a third one was enormous because of where it was and what it was about. Let me do those in order. First, um, in January, there was a state house race in Central Florida, and you might be saying, geez, how deep into the battle are we gonna go for a state house race? But it's in Central Florida. It's in, around the area around Orlando. It was uh, the Republican that held it had, had prevailed by 11 points just in 2022. It's an interesting race and notable for this conversation because by registration it is almost exactly a third Republican, a third Democrat, and a third Independent. They have some word for that in Florida. I'm not 100% sure what they call them. Um, and the district got flipped in the election in January. A lot of the national money came into it, a lot of the, the race. was it Now, you know, did it affect the balance of power in the legislature in Florida? No, it's a heavily Republican legislature. Does it mean that Florida is going to go back into the Democratic column? I mean, look, that is it is said as that part of central Florida goes, so goes the state. It's kind of a bellwether region. Hillary Clinton lost it by 1.2% in 2016. Joe Biden lost it by 3.4%. Um, so maybe no. Maybe it's still a pinkish to red, to red state. Um, but it is a small race in an interesting place in the middle of Florida, that not only went Democrat, but it was flipped from where it was before. Second thing is this thing that I described as not being particularly interesting for where it is, but for what it was about is the race we talked about just last week or the week before, New York 3, the Santos District. Now, usually I wouldn't say a congressional race in New York is all that interesting, um, but what was interesting about this race, to reiterate what I, I alluded to briefly last week, was the issue profile that this race was won on. Was run on. You know, it is said that whoever defines the issues of the race has a big advantage. Well, this was defined in the Republicans' best possible terms immigration, immigration, immigration. Now, there are things about it that you can say impacted it. A former incumbent came back and ran in part of a district that he didn't run before, et cetera. But this was a district that went six or seven points for Republicans just in 2022. And so, what happened with immigration as an issue? Not only did the guy that won, the Democrat that won, lean into the issue, kind of like what Joe Biden is doing tomorrow by going to the border. Um, But in the issue, in the parts of the district that had the most profound direct impact of immigration, those areas not only voted Democratic, but increased their margin from about four and five and 6% in 2022 to 19% in 2024. So that tells you a little something. And another interesting thing, the polling missed on it badly. It was polling at a 1% and 2% race. It finished at 8 outside the margin of error, all in the direction of the Democrat. Um, that is interesting to me um, because we also saw a similar polling miss in the primary in South Carolina. Overall, this year, the polling hasn't been terrible. It's been fairly reliable. Um, but that was a polling miss and an interesting one, I see. So that's that's an example. The Orlando race was an example of a race that was won in a not very interesting part of the country, uh, so for, uh, forgive me, an, an, an interesting small race. This was an interesting larger race and not a very relevant part of the country, but an interesting issue. But we did this year, or in the last year or so, have um, an enormous race in the last year that uh, was in a very, very important part of the country. And it was about very interesting issues. And that is the race of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. I did a whole episode about this. Um, this was the deciding who was going to control the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court was going to decide whether redistricting would happen in a relatively nonpartisan way. It had been very badly gerrymandered. That has now happened because of this, this race. And um, also, it was, um, it was an important race because the, the control of the state Supreme Court was at state. It was a, 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 a statewide race, Well, that race was won by the Democrat in a state like Wisconsin, where races are contested over one and two points. The last couple of presidential campaigns, they've both ended with less than 1% margin between the winner and the loser. This was a 10-point win for the Democrat. And this is in the state of Wisconsin. A very, very important state. And this was just in the last, uh, in, in the last 12 months. Um, uh, Janet Prezewicz is the candidate that won. I had a whole episode about, about Wisconsin um, in the past. But it's also interesting for what the race was run about. The race was run about this notion of Trump and Trumpism because the person that was on the Republican side fully embraced Trump and Trumpism. It was around the idea of trying to steal the, the election results in 2020. Uh, 2020 when Wisconsin was one of the states that Trump and his folks were trying to overturn the results in election. So, And, and then finally, it was after the Dobbs decision. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. So Wisconsin is a place that you really saw interesting tests. So if you start to look at the trend, you look at the primary results showing that there are a large number of Republicans that are saying in actual votes, I want someone else. Twenty-five, About 25% or so are, say, are, are saying they, they, they are not going to vote for Donald Trump in November. About 40% are saying they don't want him to be their nominee. You've got small races in places like Florida and New York, where various things are happening, again, where people are actually going to vote, not polls, people are actually going to vote, and then places like Wisconsin, that not only turn on, uh, uh, on Trump and Trumpism, but turn in large numbers, um, and young people come out in droves uh, who hadn't been, been coming out before. So that kind of gets me to the third thing, about, like, if you say that the three things that I identified at the beginning, kind of the divining lines for uh, how I think we should look at politics this year. One, look at real voters. In in the cases that I've talked about, these are actual votes. These aren't polls. These are actual votes, with the exception of that exit poll, which are people who had actually been to the polls. The second thing, um, I said, take a look at swingy people, swingy places, swingy states. And in all three of those examples that I gave you, look, we had a A Republican held state seat in a swingish kind of state of Florida. You've got a not swing state of New York, but definitely a swing district of New York. And you looked at how how those issues played out. And then Wisconsin, we saw profoundly how that played in 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 a in a in a real swing state, a class A swing state. But then the third thing I said to look out for are big movement things that changed since the last election. Because remember, so much is the same, same candidates, largely the same electorate, largely the same media landscape. What are the big things that's changed? You can argue the court cases are a big thing that's changed. Um, But the big thing that that looked like it changed to help out in 2022, that looked like it was the difference that, you know, all political scientists and pundits are gonna be looking at 2022, what happened there that meant that uh, a year that would normally be very good for the Republican party turned out to be, I guess you know the word, but bad. Um, And it's because the Dobbs decision. So the Dobbs decision dramatically um, uh, impact 2022. But what was the, the Dobbs decision? At its very core, the Dobbs decision said, women, you no longer have a constitutional right that is guaranteed here in the constitution to, to reproductive health care of your choosing. That is now gone. And the court said, if the states wanna pass laws like that, if Congress wants to pass laws like that, protecting it, they can do it. It was the first time a, a, a constitutional right was taken away for women below the age of 50 it's all they had ever known was having that right. So 14 states around the country um, have complete bans on abortion. And a bunch of states have been, not a bunch, but seven states have gone and said, we're going to have a referendum to change our constitution. And listen to those states that have had these referendum, and then I'm going to tell you how they each turned out. Kansas, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Montana, those are five of them. California, I think, had one. Vermont had one. In every single state, women turned out in droves to, in, to, to replace or amend the constitutions of their state to guarantee a woman's right to choose. Kansas, Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, Montana. Sure, California, you might expect it. Sure, Vermont, you might expect it. So when you look at what might change this year, what might be different this year, Well, in 2022 and 2023, it was the Dobbs decision. Is it still that way today? Well, Trump goes around bragging that he's the reason that Dobbs got, uh, got, that Roe v. Wade got overturned. He's now leaked that he's in favor of a 16-week ban so much for a a state lawmaking, he wants a national ban. But in the last week or so, Something profound has happened to bring this issue back to the fore. Many people were wondering, myself included, has the Dobbs dynamic, has it ebbed? Is the one thing that animates casual voters or animates younger voters to come to the polls, is it not as poignant as it once was? And then the Alabama Supreme Court looked up from its law books and said, wait a minute, we here in Alabama have in our constitution that that life uh, begins at conception and everything thereafter, that's a life that has to be protected by the law. Well, in in vitro fertilization, that means that you often they they, they have to try to nurture and harvest and, and even freeze uh, dozens and dozens of embryos that might or might not get used in the procedure. They have to get transported. Now, as, as was apparent in the Alabama case... Um, The Alabama court, and it had some religious craziness into it, and Alabama is not a typical swing state, it's a red state. But they came to the conclusion that if you take that argument seriously, then someone who does harm to an embryo does harm to a living thing. Therefore, they're liable both criminally and civilly. So where does that leave us today? Where that leaves us today is suddenly the Republicans and Donald Trump are scrambling to try to explain how you can believe in, in conception beginning, beginning at the point of, uh, I'm sorry, life beginning at the point of conception. And also say that you support women being, uh, and families having the right to have IVF. They're trying their best, but it's going to be very hard for them to do it. And I would not be surprised if there's a wave of laws proposed and a wave of constitutional amendments to try to make this clear. What does that do? That takes the third piece a new dynamic, a new issue, and takes a giant one that animated voters the last couple of years and puts it squarely back on the ballot in 2024. So if you look at all of those things, what voters are actually uh, have actually been saying, what swing voters have actually been saying, and what big issues there are that emerged, I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that South Carolina on Saturday was not a thumping or a dominating or a whooping or whatever that at cold open, said it was, um, but could perhaps be another glaring trend line uh, that is not great for Donald Trump. Now, I did say at the top, I was going to take a look at Tuesday's results in Michigan. I'm going to do that on the weekend show, and and that might uh, very well uh, be uh, an exception to that and a bad trend line for uh, Joe Biden, but we'll get to that soon. So thumping, not so much. Uh, Dominating, not so much. It was another very lackluster week For Donald Trump. And we'll be right back with Ask Anthony Anything. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery call, clickgrainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So welcome back to Ask Anthony Anything. This is the part of the show where we talk back, clap back, explain, justify, correct, whatever it might be. It uh, takes a lot of different forms. And this week, we are going to um, go right into something that came up at a debate that I recently had with uh, a guy named Dominic Carter. For those of you who are unfamiliar with 77, you only listen to the podcast, first of all, you're missing out on some good stuff. But um, there is a show that I do called Left Versus Right with Curtis Sliwa. You can get it in your feed. And this year, in keeping with the election season, what we've been doing is more... I guess debates is what you'd say, rather than what Curtis and I would do which kind of generally bat around the ideas of the week, more of a structured, we do issue by issue by issue. I did a couple of them with Roger Stone, a couple of them with the owner of the station, John Katsimatidis. I did one with Curtis Lee. One well, this week, we tried out um, a debate with uh, uh, Dominic Carter. He and I have known each other a very long time. I explain a little bit about how on the program. He um, He used to be Uh, at a local uh, all-news station here in New York called New York One. He was actually the host of some of their debates and the host of their Inside Politics uh, show. So when I was in Congress, um, I would appear on his show a lot. We got to know each other a little bit. In fact, an interesting thing about Dominic Carter, when... He uh, was uh, uh, was host these debates. He was the first person, to my knowledge, this might not be true, but I'm pretty sure it is. He was the first person in 2005 to start something called the lightning round, which is now very common in debates where they ask a one-word answer. And I think one of the reasons I won that first debate is I was one of the few people that gave a one word answer. Since then, people hem and haw and everything else. Uh, so, anyway, Dominic and I are debating. Dominic does a show here on the station, and he is in many ways the classic right wing blowhard. I say that with great love and respect. And um, while we were having this conversation about um, homelessness, uh, strike that, about immigration, he raised the point, I guess, about homelessness, and here's how the exchange went. Why is it this city is so aptly able to solve the problem to aid migrants? But when it comes to prior to migrants arriving here, the American homeless problem, we we were simply told we don't have it. Good luck. Oh, That's I, did, that. I love Republicans complaining about homelessness when they do nothing to solve the problem and of slash budgets every chance they get. Don't be a phony. Yeah. I think phony was the right, the right word for it, you know, just talking about the American homeless problem. Look, I love it when nonstop I hear Republicans use these bumper stickers when they're convenient. How come we're not taking care of American citizens when, in fact... They do nothing to take care of Americans when when it's their time. They're in charge of the House of Representatives now, so they had a chance to put out budgets. They had a president of the United States from 2017 to 2020, so he had a chance to put out budgets. I didn't hear Dominic Carter complaining about a 25% reduction. in in housing. I didn't hear him complaining about cuts to the HUD programs that meant nearly a million households that were currently served by uh, housing subsidies were going to lose them. I didn't hear him complaining or or protesting or dedicating shows to the 120,000 fewer people, uh, homeless people that were going to get services because of the, the Republican cuts. By the way, Uh, Joe Biden stopped those cuts from happening. I didn't hear him cheering Joe Biden for that. Um, And when Donald Trump was the president, did I hear Dominic Carter or anybody talking about a 19 percent cut in veterans programs, a 19 percent cut in housing programs? I mean, you can go down the list. Just last week, we had the Republicans propose a a budget for the floor that would be uh, uh, um, 30 million fewer outpatient visits for veterans going to VA health care. 81,000 jobs in the, health, the VA administration. Um, uh, 1.7 million kids who would lose uh, access to food. So if you want to have this conversation about, oh, we don't want to support aid to migrants or feed them, which is really all it is. We don't want to feed migrants because um, we should be helping out citizens here. This is a common thing that Republicans do. They are basically full of it. So we hear it around gun laws also. How many times have you heard someone after a bad, a, a, a horrible shooting that go on just about every, every day? How come a day to answer, Well, we should provide better mental health care. Yeah. Well, where are you when it's time to vote for that? You're never, ever there. Now, I don't know what Dominic's position is. on this thing. I'd like to listen to that Dominic show just about every night. I never hear him saying, I'm against the Republicans' cuts to these programs. I've never heard him say, let's go ahead and increase funding to the American homeless problem. Let's try to solve that. The fact is, when it comes to programs like providing help for anyone, it's Democrats that are doing it and Republicans that are fighting it. The only people they want to help are the insanely wealthy already. That's why they stand up for the gas companies and oil companies. They stand up for low taxes for billionaires and millionaires and soon trillionaires. Um, So if you hear me say it's phony, it is definitely phony. But here's what is real. What is real is that the arguments that are made against migrants, the arguments that are made against fixing the immigration system, are because people like Dominic, and I love and respect Dominic, they love the bumper stickers. They love that we've got to fix America first. They love the idea of saying that, well, we've got to take care of our own. That is always the language that is used every wave of immigration forever. The Today Fight The today battle is do we update our immigration laws to take into account the changes in circumstances? Do we update our asylum laws? Do we update our visa programs? Do we update our defenses at our borders? And when it comes to those conversations, Republicans have literally walked away from the bargaining table. They said they don't want to do it. They said it under Obama. They said it under W. Because they like the bumper stickers. They like the slogans. But when it comes to solving problems, they don't like to do that. So that's my Ask Anthony Anything. If you'd like to propose something for this segment, we used to do a lot of listener mail. I've kind of gone to responding to other people around here a little bit more. It's wienerwabc at gmail.com. At Rep Wiener, I think, is my Twitter ex. Um, and Anthony D. Wiener on whatever, on threads or whatever it's called. Uh, I really do appreciate hearing back, uh, hearing from you. Um, and as I said earlier in the program... I've got my weekend radio show, the Middle, which is in a different feed than this one. I would encourage you to go download that. That's a that's that's a, a little bit different, and then it has callers, um, and also uh, there is left versus right. Um, in a third feed. So those are all three things that you can, you can download and subscribe to when you do or when you share it or when you give it a, a grade, a, uh, uh, a rating. All of those things help other people hear about it. And um, that's very helpful to get, uh, getting the word out. I appreciate you joining us. I'm Anthony Wiener. Be sure to tune in next week. And this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged.